is episode 24 of Bro Research Radio. We are here with Kyle Dobbs. Um, really excited to have him on, on the show for a multitude of reasons, uh, one of which is that I think Ryan, myself, and Kyle, we've all worked at, in, inside of the corporate culture in one way or another, and then we've all also run small businesses that have been successful. Uh, success to me is is mostly stability and able to like put food on the table. Success for others might look different. Um, and so we want to have Kyle on the show this week because there's a lot of things that have changed in the fitness world over the last two to three months. And I, I don't think there's a better person to talk to about how we can potentially make ourselves more anti-fragile as a business in this, in this current climate. Um, so Kyle, you want to just kick it off, tell people a little bit about who you are and, and, and what kind of business acumen you have. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the short version is I've been in the fitness industry for about 15 years. So I, I started it when, you know, Ryan was in middle school and you, you're probably in high school at this point and trained exclusively for the first seven of those years and accumulated a ton of sessions. I worked in Manhattan and Union Square and just saw a lot of people, a lot of general population training, very little in the in the athletic realms or strength and conditioning realms. Um, went into management and development, managed a few facilities, did really well there, managed a, a region. Uh, so managed managers and, and a lot of revenue over the, over the course of a year, just millions per month. And then kind of got sick of the corporate culture and, and kind of the, the stipulations that were in place and the things that I was limited to uh, as far as development and education of trainers um, and went into the private sector and started working at uh, a really well-known, uh, really nationally well-known gym in New York City. And that's where I actually first met Ryan. Um, and that ended up not working out. Went into another, uh, another company based out of New York and was their national director and did that for almost two years and really wasn't loving my life. Um, this family is super important to me. I have two young kids and I was commuting an hour and a half a day and working, you know, 50, 60 hour weeks and not seeing them. So we made the move back to the Midwest, um, to St. Louis, Missouri, where my wife's from and my family lives. And about six months after that, I took six months off just to be a dad, be a husband and kind of find myself and figure out what I wanted to do. Um, started my own business and I've been doing that for about two years now. So I ran compound performance and now I'm uh, actually co-owner of Rebel performance. So we I've merged since then as well. Cool. Uh, 15 years ago, Ryan, you were for sure in middle school. Um, you were 13 years old, freshman. Maybe. Probably with the yeah. same haircut that you have now. Uh, yeah, the exact same haircut. My, you my been side bigger. were a little less. You might have been um, bigger. In my head, I was definitely bigger. If you ask me then, yeah, I was way bigger than I am now. <laughs> yeah. 15 years ago, I was training people, albeit not very well. Uh, but, I, I but I was training people, mostly my girlfriend. But that <laughs> that was my first, actually, ex-girlfriend. Uh, that was uh, that was that could have got me in a lot of trouble. Probably did. Uh, so moving on, and <laughs> the 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 biggest thing that I, that world was very different 15 years ago like trying to get clients and, and and mostly all referrals mostly all hearsay how big you were uh i don't know if it was more important then or more important now it probably depends on what kind of clients you want to you want to attract uh but i think if you were a gym owner right now with a 
demographically limited. So like your your location limited, you can only get so many, you know, you're in a city. Um, you can only, depending on your city, you may be able to pull within a five, 10, if you're in New York, three block radius, right? Or one block radius from the subway. So what would you, what would be your advice to someone who has a brick and mortar facility right now? Yeah, I mean, right now, the I think one of the biggest things that I would look at out, you know, other than, you know, opposed to just looking at gross income is I would look at expenses as well. Mm-hmm. And, and making sure I was really managing the bottom line to make sure that my net was where it needed to be because my, my overhead is going to control what I'm actually bringing in. And you can't just look at those gross numbers, right? So if you're, it's one thing to build a business and bring people into the business, but it's, it's a whole nother thing to be able to be efficient and eliminate superfluous spending, right? And I think from a business owner perspective, you have to look at both ends of the books there. As far as getting new people in, you know, assuming that we're talking about gyms reopening and not, you know, gyms being closed right now. Um, I think the biggest thing is, is, is taking advantage of my, my geographic, you know, region of what I have directly in front of me. Um, for me, brick and mortar buildings are very much built on community and culture. And I want to be a staple within that community. Like I want to have as many people within that community coming into my gym as possible. I want it to be like, we're neighbors, we're friends, right? And I want to be a staple there. I'm probably going to reach out to other small businesses in the area. I'm probably going to set up events and partnerships and things of that nature. So I can also um, expose not only, you know, myself to their people, but also them to mine, right? So find collaboration and kind of work within that, that aspect of things. Um, a lot of the marketing I'm going to be doing is probably not on social media unless I'm geotagging everything. I might utilize Facebook more than Instagram even because I can get into more community groups from that perspective and, and make sure that I've got a targeted audience rather than just everyone, right? Um, but I, yeah, I think referrals, uh, anytime you're talking about like an in-person business, relationships run that business. Right. I, I think that's one of the biggest things, um, even more so probably than how good of a trainer I am. I have, you know, people go places that they like to be. And that usually has a lot to do with services and relationships more so than equipment selection and training and programming. The things that we we hold super valuable as people within the industry. Um, so I, I'm going to do a lot of that. You know, I'm, I'm not going to pay as much of attention to, to social media. That's going to be more of a secondary mechanism for me. I'm actually going to get out in the community and, and get FaceTime with the people who would be my consumer. Mm-hmm. Cool. And so for, for someone who, one of the things that I talk to young coaches about and even, even older coaches is this, a lot of them seem to struggle with selling. Right. And so they decide they don't want to do cold sales. I've been in, I've worked retail. I hate it, but I, I can sell stuff if I need to. Right. Like, um, I've read lots of books on sales. I was made to read those books. But if someone hates to sell, how would you? What would be your recommendation? Right? They're they're getting in they're getting in front of people. Um, they're getting FaceTime. How do they actually you know close? Yeah, I, I think one of the biggest things is one one you turn your existing clientele into your sales force, right? And like those are your biggest fans, the people that are already paying you money. Like one, those people talk about you anyway. Right. Like your your clients are already talking to you about your friends. And and we know just from like a sociocultural standard and socioeconomic status that if they can afford training with you as a luxury expense, their friends probably can as well. 
you know, people tend to hang out with like people and their friends also probably have similar interests that they do. So there, there's probably also a level of interest there. So one of my biggest things is I'm going to have my clients bring their people in, right? And, and get as much exposure to them as possible. The other aspect of things is I'm really going to identify based on the people I'm already working with who my audience is, right? Because if I can identify the demographic and the audience that I'm working with, I can have a better understanding of the obstacles that they're encountering, right? Like I need to know, am I working with, you know, 35 to 45 year old parents or am I working with 18 to 25 year old athletes, right? It's a whole different lifestyle with a whole different set of obstacles and things to work around. And as trainers, all we are is problem solvers, right? Like we have a task uh, that we're trying to accomplish with our clients. And then we have obstacles that we need to be able to leverage and move out of the way. Uh, to, to create these adaptations that, you know, they're coming to us from a goals needs, you know, analysis base for. And if I can start narrowing my audience down and understanding who better they are and, you know, where they hang out, what they like to do, what their preferences are, how they like to be communicated with, at that point, the conversation turns much, you know, much more in my favor and much easier because I can be very direct. And rather than selling my services, I can sell them the solution they're already looking for. And yeah, I think, I think that's what it comes down to. I think, you know, trainers talk to clients like they're trainers, like mm -hmm. all too often. Like we're talking about diaphragms and we're talking about, you know, electron transport and shit like that. Mitochondria, right, to, you know, give James a hard time. Uh, when in reality, it's like what they're looking to hear is things, you know, they're looking for buzzwords. They're looking for key terms and, and more broad, like weight loss, strength gain, toning, abs, ass, whatever, aesthetics, right? Things that we usually, you know, frown upon core, right? The big core word that nobody likes to use. If my clients, if that resonates with them, if that means something to them, that's the language I'm going to use, right? Mm -hmm. And when I, when I talk to trainers and they, you know, kind of look down or turn their nose up to words like that, I just, I initially just take them as poor communicators. Mm -hmm. I didn't. And that's a bigger problem than I think a lot of people realize, because when you look at any relationship, any tribe of any kind, its foundation is built on the ability to speak to one another. It's storytelling, right? It's mm -hmm. communication. You can't communicate with the people you're working with. You're not working with them, not for very mm -hmm. long. There's nothing you're saying is resonating. So you said a, you said a couple of things in there that I think that I think are important. And so one of my favorite books is it's a it's a business fable. So it's a it's a story. Tell the guy tells Paul Lencioni. He tells stories, right? And he wrote a sales book called Getting Naked. And it's a terrible title, but it's kind of a good title. But the the idea of it is making yourself vulnerable and just doing the job before you get paid for it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if you're not a salesman, then just start doing the work. And that and so like identifying your your client avatars burning pain, right? And then just start solving it. Just like maybe not unsolicited advice, but like, hey, here's if someone comes to you, like, hey, here's a Here's a, you, oh, you have back pain. Here's a, here's a video of me. Send it to your, if you have a friend with back pain, just send it to him, man. It's not a big deal. Um, and so the, the other thing that I think you identified is fishing holes. And so a lot of like your fishing hole, if you're brick and mortar, your fishing hole is probably not, you know, Dubai. Uh, so you got to identify where you need to go, where you can even catch something. Uh, and a lot of people already get triggered by these words, but you're a business. Like you got to put asses in seats. You got to get people there and you can be, you can do that ethically, right? You can offer a great service. You can, you know, you can meet people's expectations. Um, and so one of the big things that, 
we kind of get in arguments about is if you're for everyone, are you for no one? And so I think you identified this this big thing of like who who do I serve in your client avatar? But you'll see people push back on that. Um, how, where where what's your stance on that? Yeah, I mean I've honestly just again personal experience. Like I've tried in the past to be the guy for everything, you know, and I've I've you know, tried to educate myself in a lot of different realms and be that super well-rounded trainer. And what I found is. You know, unfortunately, as much as we try to do that, our audience will also typically dictate us, right, and who we are. Mm. And I kept on getting the same client avatars over and over again, right? So regardless of the education I was pursuing, I was still attracting the same people regardless. You know, and it ended up narrowing my scope of form, which was kind of nice, you know, looking back on it. At the time, I was super frustrated that I wasn't working with, like, super high-level athletes because I was an athlete. Right. And I, that's that's why I went to school. That's what I wanted to do. And I was training literally a bunch of you know stay at home Manhattan night moms, you know, and that, that was literally my my base clientele. Um, and looking at it like the environment completely dictated where I was at. There's no high level athletes in the middle of Manhattan that are training at Crunch Gym. Right. Like that's really just what it comes down to. Like Ryan can you know, resonate with this as well. Probably where he's at or where he was at, you know, and it's just like the environment dictated who was in front of me, right? So I couldn't be everything for everyone because that would have been incredibly inefficient. I needed to narrow my scope because I could not change my environment. And this was, you know, my first, you know, cell phone when I first started training was literally a Nokia Razor, right? I know Ryan still has one of those, but <laughs> there was, <laughs> there were no smartphones. There was no social media, right? Like Facebook was still something for college kids. Like there. It, the whole world that we're looking at now just wasn't around. So I literally just had the people that were in my direct area had a membership to my gym. And it was a very select set of people, right? And I had to be specific. And being everyone, every, you know, someone for everyone just wasn't a good business model. As much as I wanted to be able to do it, I had to uh, adapt to my environment just like, you know, any organism would to their environment in nature, right? It's like, it's not conceptually it's not that much different right their environment's going to dictate what we do and who we are to a large extent um, and it also dictates in this environment who we're able to work with and i think you know as a side topic social media that's one of the uh, advantages and allures to a lot of trainers is you no longer have that barrier and you can anybody right? <laughs> social media takes away the geographical barrier for a large extent it also takes the time barrier and it takes away the monetary barrier because anything remote is cheaper than something in sense. Mm. Yeah, Ryan and I have talked about that. Like a lot of people, Ryan doesn't, he has a social media, but it's not, he doesn't ever do anything with it. But I mean, you were top, top 10. What were you, top 25 trainers in the United States for a very large, very large fitness business. And so like you, you were able, no one knows who you are. But you were making more money than ninety nine percent of the people, ninety nine percent of the trainers out there, and and I think you one of the things that you've said to me is like that I really really resonated with is you wanted to be the best hour of every one of your clients' days, um, and that's probably what you've missed the most going online is those in person interactions, and and we've talked about this a ton is like your uh, so what 
we have this, this idea of like defining your client avatar, but I think there's also this idea of being a, this ability to be a chameleon, um, and be able to put on different faces and be able to communicate with different, different people if you're, if you're handed them. Um, so you want to talk a little bit about that, Ryan, put you on the spot. Oh, I, I didn't know which one you were talking to, which one of us. Cause I think that would probably apply to both Kyle and I to a degree, um, uh, at least from the coaching side of things. Um, but, um, I, I first, just in case anyone listens from my old company, I was not in the top 10, but it was, you know, whatever they had some criteria or whatever. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, I did, I did pretty well with that business, but it, it really did become like Kyle's talking about like they're, um, you, you kind of do have to figure out what you're going to do at some point. And I definitely, I think it's probably good in the beginning of a career to kind of be a little bit of a generalist and just kind of figure out like where you want to go with things. And I, like, I learned a lot and like the thing, cause I might kind of push back a little bit on that argument if with, without knowing what, how we're defining different populations, because I think that a lot of people really need a lot of the same shit when it comes down to coaching. Right. So it's like, I think what maybe you're talking about is more like marketing, like the marketing side of things, the language of how you're expressing it. Yeah. And, and that, yeah, that would make a ton of sense to me because you can't like be marketing yourself as like the golf guy, bodybuilder, powerlifter guy that I was, uh, at my gym, like, so, and that, that's, that, that's how I did things. But, but, um, yeah, like, so, but you also weren't marketing. You were, you, you were given, you were given essentially like a roster of 10 clients. You did really good work. And I'm guessing those clients sold you to other people. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't even like we were given any clients, like every now and then you would get somebody that would like walk in through the door and they'd like, this is a good fit for Ryan. But it was mostly just like, yeah, you would be on the floor and you would just be bullshitting with people. Um, I, like I was known personally, like at, at the gym that I was at, I don't, I, I'll just say that it is Equinox. I don't think that that's really an issue. Um, but I, I worked at Equinox and as like, uh, 95% of all trainers on the planet have worked at Equinox at one point in their life, it seems like. Um, but like you, you had to clean up on the floor. So like that was part of coming in like initiation is you had to walk around on the floor for a few hours a day. I was doing like 10 hours a day because I was broke, but, um, and you had to clean shit up. So like, I was kind of known as being like the crazy OCD guy that like, as soon as you put your, your dumbbell down, I'd like go straighten it out. And, uh, but it actually got me a lot of clients because like people just either thought it was super weird and they would give me shit and then it would start a conversation or they would just be like, wow, this guy's like super OCD about something really dumb. Um, like he's probably going to care a lot about me and like the programming that he does for me. And that I think that that was like reflected in the way that I would pay attention to people on the floor. So yeah, like for, for me, like it's been a, it's been a difficult transition. I've talked a little bit about this, I think on the podcast, but just going from like, yeah, being the best hour of somebody's day, like 10 times a day, uh, or at least that's the way that I would perceive it. But uh, going through doing that and just getting that ego boost all the time. And then just having like these, these really like special um, relationships with my clients that like I really got a lot out of and I, and I feel that they did as well. Um, most of them, not all of them, but um, most of them. And, uh, and then going to, to online where it's just kind of like, it's a weird place for someone like me who really gets a lot out of that interaction. And, um, and this said, just an ego boost, honestly, like a lot of it was just like, if you have someone walk in and they're having a shitty day and they leave and they just seem like they're in a much better mood, that's like a huge ego boost. <laughs> like that's, that's a well, really, I don't, know. Yeah. I don't know if it's ego boost. I think, I think you get happiness comes from acting happy. Like you can make yourself happier by like smiling. 
So like mm-hmm. you're sure. you can improve your mood by like just being like fuck it. I'm just gonna have a really good time for this next hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't think it, I don't like that doesn't necessarily. I wouldn't put yourself down for that or anything like that. You're providing a service, and I think in that service you you had you it gave you a purpose, right? It was your passion. You are you allowed you provided a great service for other people, made them laugh. I don't think that that gets discounted a lot. Is like, hey, can you can you make this shit fun? Um, and I think that's why, as like when I was a trainer, people kept like I couldn't fire some clients because they just had a really really good time. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that and where we whereas I think Kyle, you can speak to this. Is like we have people that are trying to do all these things at once. Like they're trying to speak this language that their client doesn't care about right they they don't what like i need you to do a modified all four belly lift and then i'm gonna watch your pelvis move like dude just stop so you want to talk about that yeah just just don't you know try to palpate a you know sacral counterindication and you're probably okay there. <laughs> you're, you're gonna either earn some trust or it's gonna end real quick <laughs> yeah it's gonna go really bad or really poorly uh my wife won't listen to this but you know i, I do think and that's what I spend a lot of time talking with trainers about. And that's where I think the language comes in is you can be a really good trainer. You have all of the right things going on the back end. Your clients don't give a fuck. They care about the experience that they're having with you. And and especially early on in my career, like I was not a good trainer. I was a guy who looked like he worked out and, you know, was good to talk to. Right. And I think a lot of my clients just, Again, like Ryan's saying, like they liked spending an hour with me. Like they got a good workout. I didn't hurt anybody, um, but I gave a good, I gave a good, I gave good service. I was always on time. I was always listening. I was always engaged. I wasn't on my phone. I wasn't eating. I wasn't drinking coffee during a session. I was always there and present and communicating with them at a level uh, that they understood and to their actual values. Right? Like everything that I say to any client, whether it's in trainer development or training. If I can't wrap it back down to that goals needs analysis, like to their actual goals, it's Just not even it. about. Mm-hmm. It, there's no point in talking about it for me. It's wasted breath and it probably detracts from whatever I'm trying to do. So it's like that all fours belly lift. That's just an ab exercise. Mm-hmm. Right? That, that 99 hamstring, that's just a glute exercise, right? That's all we're trying to do there. Mm-hmm. And my clients don't need to know the nuances and the intricacies and, and the, you know, the system talk, the jargon that goes along with those things. They don't care. When I go to my accountant at the end of the year, I don't need to learn tax law. I just want you to show me my return. Mm-hmm. Like run the numbers, bro. Like I don't need to know what goes in. I don't want to see how the sausage is made. I just want it finished. I want it done for me. And, and I think that's something that trainers seem to overemphasize for a few reasons. One we have our own self bias, right? We love this stuff, which makes us complete weirdos than 99% of the human population. And we don't understand that because trainers also spend all their time talking to trainers. 100% of the people that are gonna listen to this podcast are trainers, right? It's like we have a self-selected demographic that we have to be aware of. And when we start thinking about that, it's like, okay, well, we spend a lot of time talking about to trainers about trainer things. We become very one-dimensional and very poor communicators with a lot of other people. The other side of things is, I think, especially in my case, like I grew up in a very rural area, not a lot of money. And all of a sudden I'm charging $150 an hour for something. And for me, because I also, I bias education and I put a lot of 
just emphasis on education. It's how I prove myself to myself in a lot of ways, right? And validate what I do. I felt the need that I had to validate that to my clients by using as many big words as I could, right? And over explaining everything. And I was, you know, again, so unaware that I was missing like the eyes glazing over, like through that process, right? And when in reality, you know, as the more I learned, the better I got it, you know, simplifying to the context that it was actually appropriate and applicable, um, I ended up having much better sessions because we were just talking about them. Mm. I spent all my time talking about their kids and their, week, default, their yeah. vacations and, you know, and, and then I just be like, yeah, two more. Cool. Like take a break, come back, right? Whatever we're doing this next. And, but none of our conversations actually revolved around training unless it was like that one or two, you know, unicorn clients that wanted to know why we were doing something. Mm-hmm. Like cool yeah, they, they, as you say, those people exist. So you'll get them every now and then. Yeah. So but it's have fun there. when that happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, like if somebody asks a question, have the answers. Yeah. Right. But what also be able to like, ha- I would, ha- I would, I would counter that with like, be able to have two answers. Be able to have like the short, fun answer, oh, and yeah. then be able to have like the medium-sized, succinct answer that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I'd like. They, the Dia tribes, dude, like <laughs> no one wants yeah. to spend. No, dude, it's no. like, talk, it's like when I talk to my nine-year-old, when he asked me a question, it's like, okay, what's the simplest form that I can answer this? It's a real understanding, get something out of it. And then if he asks a follow-up, I can add a little more context. He asks a follow-up, yeah. I can layer on a little more context. Uh, and, and I think, you know, yeah, like for me, that communication base, like that's, that's the show, like being able to create a service model and, and, you know, be an hour that people actually enjoy, like Ryan's saying, being the best hour of their day. If you can do that, you will be successful in the industry. And mm-hmm. I've watched a lot of people with, you know, the, the BS, MS, CSCSs, ABC, XYZs after their names completely wash out of the industry because they couldn't talk to human beings. They couldn't. Well, they probably didn't get into this industry because they wanted to. No. Well, and that's, that's the other side. They, they look at this as being like, oh, shit, I didn't make it. I got to go train Sally. It's like, yeah, and, what's wrong with Sally? Sally's great, man. I love gym pop people, man. Yeah, so, hell yeah. Yeah, you know, absolutely. That's like, I think that's a big thing. And, you know, if you can, you can take that person in front of you and understand that most of them are coming to you from a, a pretty high threat response. Like mm-hmm. most of the people that are training just you know what it might be completely subconscious but they're not happy with where they're at right and i think that's why a lot of people and a lot of trainers especially find comfort in the gym is because everybody's working on something i've never met more body dysmorphic people in my world than a room full of trainers like that's yeah. that's the straight truth right going Absolutely. to any any locker room or any any training room right i think that's why most of us get into this industry like i was a painfully skinny kid with pectus that got made fun of his entire life so I had a doctor once that told me I needed to do push-ups to make it look better. I literally <laughs> push-ups a day for like 10 years before I found a weight room, right? My bench press still sucks, but you know, whatever, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, so it's just most of our clients are coming at it from the same view, right? Like everyone in their gym is working on something. Like everybody is, you know, unconfident about something they're doing. And if we can increase familiarity and decrease that threat response and get that get that person to a place of comfort within the gym they're going to have more intention they're going to move better they're going to get results and if we can do that and make that not just a tolerable experience but an enjoyable one now we've got adherence coherence and we've got real behavioral change 
Mm-hmm. Uh, if we can't do that, we've got a client who buys one package that we never see again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, one thing you mentioned earlier is just like being present with your clients and not eating, not being on your phone and, and actually communicating with them, and which means listening to them. And I think that if you listen and you pay attention to their body language, if you're somewhat uh, a able person in society, you're going to be able to see that they're, they're either liking what you're saying or doing or they're not. And you'll figure that out pretty quickly. So if you start an explanation that is way far over their head or it's, it's not like, I like the idea of just bringing it back to their goals. Like that, that should always, however you answer a question, there should always be a pause and thinking of how do I bring this back to them? Because if it doesn't come back to them, then it's, it's pointless. It's, it's, it's a pointless conversation. Like it's not because they want to know how, what they're doing right now is going to help them with what they came to. And then not only that, like you also, you tell them that you're listening because you listen to what they initially said to you. The reason that they're here is because every time they work out their knee hurts or something. And, And now you're giving them an explanation that makes sense for that specific thing that they asked for in the beginning. So, I think that's just like that gets lost and it's, it's not about uh, regurgitating information. It's, it's about like listening to what this person needs and then relating everything back to them. Even if it's not the most accurate explanation, even if you, you know, you would be attacked on social media. If, if your trainer buddies heard you saying this thing, it doesn't fucking matter. Right? Like that's, that's where uh, I know that I get, I get lost a lot of times too. And like that, so there is, it's almost like we need to have two different languages. It's like, we need to have client language and then like, talking to ourselves language and uh you know like where do you spend most of your time and what are you what like for from a marketing perspective what's going to make you more money and what's going to make you be successful uh that's probably a question that you need to like sit with for for a lot of us like especially on social media and this is something that you know i i talk to almost everybody i work with about right like my consumer is a trainer so i Mm -hmm. talk like a trainer yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's a huge distinction. And, and even yep. then, like I, I try to like my goal, like I want to talk in a way that like a, a trainer in that year is one to five understands. Mm-hmm. Right. Not the person who's already taken all the courses like they, they can go to somebody else probably smarter than me. Like I'm trying to raise the floor more than I'm trying to raise the ceiling on that. Like mm-hmm. me making like already really intelligent people that much more intelligent doesn't impact the industry that much. Near, not nearly as much as me working with the people that are on like the front lines at corporate gyms mm-hmm. that are really grow, and those are the people that I can impact the most in in my experience. So, so that's your like, niche. Yeah, and it's like, and I talk to two trainers, right? So I talk like a trainer to trainers, and I try to make things digestible and and show value. If I'm if I was a trainer trying to market to clients, like my language would be completely different, mm-hmm. and I would probably get bashed for the simplicity by a lot of my training, right? And, and part of that's because they probably don't understand marketing themselves. But like what we see is a bunch of trainers that talk to other trainers on the internet and just end up in an echo chamber, slapping each other's back and telling each other how great they are, right? And it's it, it's one of those things where it's not even just trainers talking to trainers, but we're actually getting like tribal in the fact that it's like systems talking to systems, right? Like we have so much jargon, so many acronyms, so, so many nuanced, drills and, and whatever that by the time we we wrap up that instagram post less than like even one percent of our industry understands it mm. right it's like who are we helping like so so one of the things that i talk with people about is like are you seeking validation on the internet or are you actually trying to help people because those are two very different things 
And if you're trying to help people and you want to be able to monetize your social media, pre you know, your, your presence, you need to make sure that your message is digestible to the people who will be your consumers or would be your consumers. If you just want to hang out on the internet and talk to other trainers, that's totally cool. And that's a whole nother thing. Mm -hmm. But we do need to understand the difference between those two things. Um, yeah. It, it, it's just, it's language, right? We can say the same thing a lot of different ways. And, and it, like a lot of the people that, you know, follow me, like they'll see a drill and they'll be like, oh, are you, you know, this acronym? And I'm like, can we, let's just talk biomechanics. Like, let's just talk about femurs and pelvises and, and rib cages. Like, we don't need to call these things different things. They're just patterns. This is still hip extension. This is still an anterior pelvic tilt or whatever. It's, we don't have to label it that way because I also know that I've got a lot of people who have an FMS and, a, and an ASM that follow me and want to understand what this stuff is. And it's like, in reality, is that like that patho PEC just upper cross and lower cross syndrome? Because when I look at the pictures in books, it just looks like the NASM textbook that I read 15 years ago. Right? Blasphemy. I, Kyle. Not, right? Kyle. So Shame to you. Almost, it's almost like different <laughs> skeletons and different muscles or something. <laughs> all, all those things weren't, weren't actually on the body back in the day. No, yeah, it so it's, started. It, it's just one of those things where it's like, as we're looking at these things, like how can we simplify this into a common language? And it comes back to just anatomy and physiology. And if you know the skeleton and you know muscles, all these things make sense. It's just what language that you're choosing to express them and who you're actually talking to. And we use jargon as like an industry currency. Like if I can use fancier words, I belong to these systems and I'm better and more educated than this other person. And that's what it really turns into. It's just, it's currency, right? It's a way to validate oneself. Uh, and, and it's uh, symbolism. Yeah, that's, you know, it will, currency is a symbol. Yeah. Right? Symbol. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. that's what it all comes down to, right? It's, it's a way for me to show everybody how smart I am and what, what seminars I went to and put myself higher on that pedestal, that pecking order than the people who might be reading my stuff. Mm. And if that's your goal, that's cool. You're not going to sell a lot of people. One of the big things that for me, because I luckily took a creative writing course when I was 21 years old and just happened like I had to, I went to a liberal arts school and I had to, I had like one English credit I had to get. I was like, my mom knew the professor who's, who taught creative writing. So she's like, just take, take, take his class. And I took his class and I was like, this is awesome. And in that class, like, I, like they were like, every time you're writing something, write it to one person. Like write it to, and I think like I see most people's social media, they, they haven't taken any type of writing courses and they, and, and I'm read probably way too many writing books by now, but they're writing to themselves. And I'm like, all right, write, instead of writing to yourself, because this is just like social media, weird ass masturbation, like pick, pick one person and write to them. And like earlier this year, I, I was like, I just, I'm going to write 20 posts for not for the general population. I'm just going to write 20 short medium form contents for not for my normal avatar. And I put them on, like I put them on the internet and there's, there's things in there that like make me cringe a little bit. And then I put like seven asterisks at the bottom, like, but I, I didn't, <laughs> like, but I didn't put it, but I didn't put the context in the thing. I was like, I'm going to let it ride. And like, I swear, like every one of those posts, like trainers, like send it to all their people. They're like, look at this, look at this. 
And I'm like, oh, wow. Like, so I, I can have these two different people. So if you can, you can start to differentiate, differentiate who you want to write for, that can be really, really helpful. And hopefully you're not, and if you want to, if you want to just write for yourself, that's fine too. Um, I do that as well. But I, I think if you're writing, if you're writing to get clients, if you're writing to make money, that's a different situation and that you need to be just militant about your message and then any noise, cut it out. Um, and then if that first paragraph, that first line, the hook, so important, it doesn't matter what it is. If it's a video, if it's, if it's writing, if it's audio, you have to have that hook. Um, unless those people are already like a podcast, they're probably, if someone's listening to a podcast, you don't necessarily need a hook anymore because they're already, they're already in, in your model. Um, but if someone doesn't know if you're sending this in a newsletter or something like that, like you need to hook them. Um, and so transitioning this to, so we have all these things that, that work in the in-person space, right? Like communication, being the best hour in someone's day. Now all of a sudden COVID happens and the vast majority of businesses and trainers are trying to move themselves online. Uh, what rules are the same? What rules are different? Yeah, I mean, I think the rules are largely the same, but the applications are different, right? Like I think, I think service and relationships are still incredibly important for running a remote business. Um, and like the way that I differentiate levels of service is touch points, right? So if I'm running a training business, for instance, like I might have three different products at three different levels of service to make sure that I have like lower barrier to entries and I can work with people, right? So I might have uh, a template only product, right? Where it's like, hey, here's a, you know, here's a template. You have no money, but you really want to understand how I do things and you want to work on one of my programs. Here's a very vanilla strength training template that's, you know, 50 bucks for 90 days. And then I've got a remote training where I've got a one touch, right? Where we just do a monthly call singular, right? And it's, it's something where, again, I spend maybe two to three hours a month with you and it's priced according to that. And then I've got something where, again, the more expenses I'm getting in my pricing, the higher level of service you're getting and the more touch points you get. So maybe that turns into a weekly call or a bi-weekly call, depending on my price offering, right? What it really comes down to is people are never paying for a better product necessarily. The training is probably going to be about the same across the board because I'm principle based. I'm not going to change it that much. What they're paying for is how many times they get to talk to me. And I think a lot of trainers don't understand that. It's like your, your lowest level remote training package, like from a training perspective, just looking at the programming and periodization, exercise selection, all those things is probably going to be just about exactly the same as your highest level one. The difference in what they're paying for is hours of your time. So higher level, you know, higher priced uh, products and higher level service is really time-based and not product-based. You're spending more time with that person. They're paying you for that time, right? So what I work with on everybody is like establishing a set dollar per hour, right? Like, and again, that depends with everybody on, you know, what their needs are from a financial perspective, which again, depends on what your head is, what your expenses are. But if somebody wants to make for easy, easy math sake, like, you know, $10,000 a month, $2,500 a week, right? At that point, I know that that $2,500 a week looks very different in 25 hours versus 50 hours of work. Right? So I want to do it in 25 hours. I got a life to live and kids, kids that I have. 
right? So everything that I'm doing is priced on time at a hundred dollars per hour. So all, my entire pricing model is built on a hundred dollars per hour at that point. So if I know that my remote training in its simplest form usually costs me about two to three hours a month, I'm pricing it somewhere in that 200 to $300 range. Now, every hour, every phone call that I add to that, it's going up bucks. And that's what people are paying for. They're paying for hours of your time, not necessarily just a product. Hmm. And I think that's what trainers need to understand. And that's where service comes in really handy because if you can't provide value in those extra hours, people won't pay for it. If you show value, people will always pay. Your, your audience will pay for the things that they value. And if you can't show value, that's on you. And, and again, I think having a good relationship with people, connect with people, you know, using Zoom instead of just emailing, you know, just things where you can have a more personal experience, even from a remote location, like the technology is there, right? Like there's things that we can do. It's not the same, but again, like anything remotely, it's still gonna be way cheaper than anything in person, right? So they're not paying for the same level of service also. Um, I, I think it's just, that's something that trainers need to understand is like my programming is not getting better because somebody's paying me. My programming is always going to be good. It's how much time I spend with them and how I can price that and show value within that and the things that I can do there that's going to set me apart from you know somebody else in the space. How do, you, how do you determine that for an individual? Is this, is this something that they're deciding on their own prior to, or is this something like a conversation you have and you say, hey man, like we're gonna need some weekly phone calls for the next, just based off of the needs analysis or, or whatever your process is? So I've got, if I'm, if I'm the trainer and I'm working with a client in that, in that perspective, like I'm going, to be in, I'm going to be getting feedback from them on a weekly basis, no matter what, right? Mm -hmm. On a one call per month option, it might be feedback forms, right? Where they're just answering subjective and objective questionnaires, allowing me to program better, change exercise selection, whatever. If they're going to do something that's higher level service at that point, it's just more in-person check-ins, you know? And, and for me, it's not so much that I decide that for them. It's again, explaining what the options are, what's involved with them and letting them Kind of decide based on their budget. Mm -hmm. And if I've, for me, if I've priced everything according to my dollar per hour and I know how many hours I'm going to spend, they're all profitable. Right? Like I know that I'm, I'm not in the red on any of these products from a business perspective and that I can facilitate the service and the expectations that this person is trying to meet. You know, so I, again, like my mind works in, in, Excel sheets and line graphs. So I'm, I'm always going to be measuring things empirically from that perspective. Uh, that's just how I process information. Um, but ag again, I'm not deciding the client's going to decide. Yeah. They're going to kind of decide their journey at that point, you know, and I'm just going to facilitate it as best as I possibly can. Right. And like, I'll be the guide, you know, in this hero's journey scenario. And, you know, I'm going to do the best with what they give me and what they're able to do that can change over time. There might be times in their life where they need a higher level service versus a lower level service and we can accommodate and schedule. They can be very flexible from that point on. Like we, we work with a bunch of power lifters, right? And they're off seasons. We might talk to them once a, once a month. When we're in end season and we're actually prepping for a meet, we're going to talk to them much more frequently mm -hmm. and get a lot 
feedback because it's urgent, right? Like, again, it's time-based, like urgent drives necessity. So, so from like a, a package uh, perspective or, or just like a payment perspective, like how do you determine that? Because the, the thing like that, because I'm the absolute worst at this. And like anyone who works with me knows that I'm just, I'm terrible at this. So I'm, I'm totally okay just throwing that out there. And so my, my whole thing for me, just like this mental block, um, has just been like, like, what do I do? Am I going to like give somebody a phone call because they, they need me to talk to them for 20 minutes and then just like send them a bill. It, like, it just seems, it just seems weird to me like that. It's just like, I, I want to, so I guess the way that I've structured my stuff personally is it's just like, this is the cost for whatever you need. Like it's, it, if it gets crazy, then, then it's like, there's going to be a conversation. Like I can't talk to you every day. I'd love to, but like, that's just, you know, and I think I, I've never had a situation where I really had to tell somebody like, dude, we're talking too much. Like, this is kind of, this is getting weird or whatever. Um, but so, so for me, it's, it's, that's the thing that I've always had trouble with. It's just like, if it turns into, I'd be interested to hear how you guys transition, like, like with, with that example, like that's probably a very easy example to explain. Like, how does that work? Well, you're asking, I think a, you have a subscription-based model. And so like, you're trying to retain clients. Like there's, this is a service that you're offering first. You don't have tiers. Like you just have one tier. Um, and so the, I'll, Kyle, I'll let you take this in, this in a second, but I think having like tiers is important because I, one of the biggest things that, that I've noticed is like, if you upsell people who don't need to be upsell, they feel ripped off. Mm -hmm. But if you downsell people who need to be downsell, they're like, holy shit, dude, this guy just like literally cost himself $400. Like someone comes to you, you're like, dude, you, you really don't need to talk to me six times a month. You're going to be good one time a month. And they're like, what, what are you talking about? Um, and so I think having these, having these different price points allows you to kind of be more ethical be like, all right, yeah, you're a tough case. Like I, and I, I was, uh, I'll, I'll just throw his name out there. Gavin guard, uh, is opening up a, he's opening up a clinic in Washington and he has, the, he has these three tiers, right. And they're kind of based on how complex of a case you are. And I, I think if like, if you throw a simple case into a complex case and they got to see you 12 times in the next six months. And that's going to be, that's going to be a hard sell vice versa. Like you're going to do someone who's a complex case and they only got to see you once you're going to do them a whole, you're not going to be able to do good work. Um, so I think having these tiers can be important, but on your, you're so good at defining your avatar that I think that you might be okay. And Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong. I think there's a few things, you know, that you can do, but I, I will say, and I learned this again from personal experience that if you don't set expectations, you can't hold accountable. Right. Yeah. So I think, you know, when I start a relationship with somebody and any service that I'm providing, there is a clear expectations email of what I'm providing and what I expect from that person. Right. Yeah. And, and they're, and them going through with it is them signing on the dotted line. Like that, that is our agreement. And that's something I can always fall back on. Um, and, and again, like for me, it's like, you know, we have the phone calls, but they have unlimited email. I have a 12 hour response time because again, I don't want them dependent on that email. Like I don't want them emailing me between sets wondering what to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, because I just can't fulfill, I can't answer those things for them. You know, so I think what I would actually suggest for Ryan is like, hey, so I have a base level subscription model that comes with these things. If we need to talk more, if you feel like we need to talk more, I also have a la carte services in the form of extra calls. Like we can yeah, yeah. book a 30-minute 
offer X amount and you can be billed separately for that, right? If it's something that a feedback form or uh, an email or something of that won't fulfill, I've got this other stuff that we can do from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, for you, like, again, like what I always caution trainers for is we, and you guys have talked a lot about like altruism and, and reciprocal altruism, but most people get into this business because they, they like to help people. Like they, nobody gets into fitness to be rich. Like I think we've all established that. Like this isn't a money-making industry from that perspective, especially for how many fucking smart people are in this industry that could be doing something that made a lot more money. Mm-hmm. Uh, like most people do this because they like service of, of, some, of some way. It's easy to give up too much of your time and, and, you know, for me, when I, like a couple things happen, right? Like if I'm saying, and I'm hyper aware of this because of my family, if I'm saying yes to a client, I'm saying no to somebody in my house. Mm-hmm. Or I'll, right? I, I don't think, I don't think you just having a dog, like just having a baby, this doesn't like, people don't get this really un- until they have a kid. Every, every decision I make, the like is really weighed against spending time with my kids, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, I, I build my schedule around that. I literally moved cross country for that and, and gave up a fully salaried, very high paying job, especially for this industry and to, to run my own thing, to ensure that I could work five hours a day for as long as I need to and do all the things that I want to do outside of that. And, and I think that's something for me, I've been the person who gave up too much of his time, way too many times. And one, you get incredibly burnt out doing that. It does wear on you. It does catch up to you. Mm-hmm. And and two, it also sets the expectations for clients, right? Like clients are like kids in the extent that they will keep pushing boundaries inherently. Like human beings just do this, right? Like mm-hmm. puppies do this. All animals probably do this. Like we're going to push boundaries until we get pushed back, right? Like that's survival. That's adaptation, right? So your clients will inherently do that. The more that you provide for them, the more they will actually lean on you. Uh-huh. And part of my goal as a trainer also is not to create dependence, right? Like I don't want you emailing me something that you can Google or that you should, you should probably already know or something that's uh-huh. already written into the program in plain sight. Like I want you to be a problem solver and figure out some of this stuff on your own. Uh, like, a lot of our clients are trainers. The vast majority of them are trainers. And when people ask, you know, myself or Matt questions or James, like we usually say, what do you think? Mm-hmm. You're a trainer. You got acronyms behind your name. Tell me what you think about this and let's have a conversation about it instead of me spoon feeding something to you. Right. If I'm with a gen pop client, I usually build in as many constraints and considerations into that program to nullify as many possible questions as I can. I pick the easiest fucking exercises to perform. I make everything super vanilla so that their their main focus is applying stimulus, not complexity. Mm-hmm. Right? Like complexity is never gonna be my friend in remote training because complexity decreases your ability to create output, both from a capacity or from a intensity standpoint. So I make super simple exercises, I give them constraints that are hard to fuck up and I just let them go and their work is going to determine their progress rather than the rather than their ability to assimilate information right so I try to eliminate questions before they even happen like with a lot of our programming but then if they do have questions cool let's hop on a zoom call right but they already know the expectation is that's going to be extra money 
that's built into their agreement. They read it. And I don't have like the small fine print agreement. It's like an email and like literally 0.14 font. Like, you know what this shit is. You're reading it. There's no asterisks or whatever. Uh, and I think that's something that, you know, for me, ends up building a lot of autonomy with our clients to where they really start kind of understanding what they're doing and they can even kind of predict some of the things we're doing. And we're just guiding them along throughout the process. Because a lot of our people, like, they can program for themselves. Like, Matt works with you. Matt's a fantastic trainer. He knows how to program. He doesn't want to program for himself. You know who coaches me? Matt. Because I don't want to program for myself. So I get a lot of secondhand Ryan stuff. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) We might be able to pay you a little bit extra, right? (laughs) You know, so it's just... We've actually... That's like one of my favorite jokes. It's like (laughs) when someone starts doing like... We'll have someone start doing like a program that someone else wrote. Be like, all right, I'll throw that guy like I'll, I'll throw that guy like ten dollars. I give him like fifteen percent. Let's go. You're gonna get an invoice from me at the end of this podcast, y'all. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, I think it's just you know most of the most of the direct communication with remote training, like we can probably eliminate just through really good programming. Uh, you know, and, and good videos and good explanations within like those exercise selections. Anybody who's ever worked a programming platform in Excel sheets, like we can add as much information in the notes as we want to. I, I can give you all the information, right? Um, so it's more work on the front end, but it saves you a huge amount of time on the back end. And for me, time is infinitely more valuable than money. Like, like money doesn't hold a value without the environmental context. Like $100,000 in New York is not the same as $100,000 in Springfield, Missouri, where I grew up, Uh uh right? You know, so the environment determines the value of money, and that's why money is a symbol, right? So for me, it's like we we move cross-country to a place where money holds a completely different value. I don't need to make as much, right? I can spend less time working. And I can price my things accordingly to make sure that I hit all my bills and I can do what I want to do and, you know, and whatever and save and all that good stuff. But I don't have to worry about money because I can always make more money, but I can't create more time. You know, so I'm much more protective of time from that respect. And I think that's where you being kind of always open might work now, but might not work later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the communication policy, I think, is everybody should have a communication policy. I'll even say it like in my first, like when I first in my initial console, I'll even like talk with them about it. I think it. you need to talk about it because that's the issue that I find is people don't read shit anymore. Like you can put, if you get an email that has more than like four, because I do the same thing. Like if I get an email that has more than like four lines, I'm like, eh, like my tendency is just to just skip to the like first sentence, last sentence. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much sums it up. Uh, so it just has high and by. Um, but yeah, that, that's, I think that that's, that's super important. It's just like laying that out, but making sure like, Hey man, do you understand what I wrote there? <laughs> like, does that make sense to you? I just want to make sure that that like, let's actually like, yes, yeah, verbal agreement, shake your head. Okay. You got it. Cool. And, and day one in that consultation, like I used to do this in-person training as well, right? I would always mm-hmm. set expectations like on the consultation yes. because that's when someone's the it took most me a while to figure that out. And they're yeah. the most excited, right? Like yeah. you don't want to have the, oh, have you been doing your off-day cardio and counting your macros conversation like six weeks down the road when they've gained weight and they're super pissed <laughs> off at you trying yeah, to throw yeah, yeah. training on the bus, right? 
like you want to have those expectations, whatever they are, whether it's lifestyle coherence or, or logging, actually putting your numbers in the platform, right? So we know what you're doing or whether it's communication, like it's a day one conversation because that's when they are the most excited about the program and they're going to say yes to anything. They're going to be like, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I got that. I got that. Right? Like just give me my program now because I'm supposed to train in an hour and I just took my pre-workout, right? It's like, that's what they're looking for. And you know, that, that conversation, like we build in filters in all levels of our processes, right? Like it's to make sure that we get somebody who is going to be a good client for us, a good match for us. And like our intake form is lengthy on the exactly. mm-hmm. Like yep. it, it's, it'll, it'll take you a good, like, it's not crazy. But it'll take you a good 20, 30 minutes, depending on how much you want to actually write in there. Like it's, it's lengthy. And if you're not willing to do that, we're not going to be a good match. Totally. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means we're not a good match. And that's cool. We set that consultation time. You have to have the intake form filled out beforehand, or we're not even going to get on the phone with you. That mm-hmm. consultation allows us to to go through it, ask, again, follow-up questions rather than initial questions, get, dig deeper into the actual processes and have a better conversation. And that's where we reinforce expectations along the process as well. And, you know, so again, like I think cl- trainers in general also, especially in a time like now where people are kind of hurting, you know, business-wise, people are going to be too apt to just train everybody. And anybody that's interested in, and if those people are a red flag day one, <laughs> they will cost you more than they'll, than they'll provide every single time. Like we've Man. all had like that. We call every them time. death, death dealers. Like you knew, like they walked in the door. The eighth trainer that they worked with this year is going to be the one. Right. Yeah, you're going to be the one to crack them. Yeah. And it's, and it's always the trainer's problem. There's no common denominator. There's no nothing. No, no it just it keeps just, happening. It's so weird. It is, I just don't understand. Right. Uh, no, but I mean, that's like, if, if we start seeing red flags in that process, it's like, I know what it's going to be like six months from now. Like you're going to be mm-hmm. the client I resent and I don't want to be in that headspace. Right. Like I, I want to work with people I like working with, you know, and again, doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means I'm not the person for you. I can probably even refer you to somebody who's a good friend. Yeah. So you, you hit a couple the one of the last questions we have on the list is like, how do you avoid burnout working online? I think it's being proactive. I think it's, you know, setting up these systems so that you're, you know, you're not answering whether Betty can eat another carrot. Um, like, or rest between sets. I really like that. Like, how long should like what should I move the weight up on my next set? Like, dude, I'm not answering that question. I'm not answering that question in real time, bro. Uh, so I, I think you, anything else? Like, you hit some huge ones for avoiding burnout working online in the fitness space. But any other things that that you found really really helpful for avoiding that? Yeah, I mean, the other thing is like I track all time. Like my my I. From a systems perspective, I try to be as organized as possible. I try to build efficiency into my system so I'm not doing a just a ton of administrative work. But even when I start talking about like dollars per hour and I in in services and those things, like I include administrative time in that, right? So I can be proactive about that. And if things aren't matching up at the end of months, I can self-audit all my systems. I can self-audit all revenue streams and make sure that I'm actually meeting that expectation if I'm not. I can look at more efficiency or I can raise the price depending on what it actually is. 
But but I think you know for me it, a lot of it just has to do with just organizing the process and setting expectations. And, and again, it's like I have very clear like work times. I don't take calls outside of that because um, I don't work in an industry where emergent like my clients don't have emergent. Uh, per se that, that I can handle or they might have emergencies but I'm not going to be the one to like help them with it uh, so my, my, my part of their life doesn't include emergencies right so it's like I've got you know I work from 10 to 5 if we can't get in like if I if it's outside of that I'm not doing it right like I've got it in the driveway playing hoops with my I'm not taking a phone call whatever you know so I, I think at that point it's just being very clear and holding true to that and not taking a quick buck or an extra client outside of those times that, and again, everybody's times are different. My, my in-person yeah. work times were five to two, right? Cause I'm an early riser. Like I'd start training people at five and I'd be done at two. I wouldn't take anything after two, right? You know, so again, I think you set those times and if you can hold true to those and you can optimize and maximize those times, not work outside of them. Because again, like when I look at, at burnout, it's not always just uh, too much work. It's also just like not enjoying the work you're doing. And if you're working outside of times you're comfortable with, whether it's too early or too late or on the weekends or whatever, you're going to start resenting that time spent. And as soon as that happens, it's over. Like, and, and it's the client's getting a worse service. You're not enjoying the time either. It's just not a good scenario. And again, and again, it's like you say yes to that. You're saying no to something else. So you've also now got lifestyle factors or you've got an angry girlfriend or boyfriend or husband or wife or whatever uh, because now you're infringing on dinner time or date night or the weekend or whatever it may be. It's just causing all this other ancillary stress that's now imposing itself onto your work life also. Because you can't separate. Like I don't – like that's where like work life balance and things like that. Like I think that's a bullshit term. You can't separate those two things, but you can create alignment. Right. Yeah, I think balance, balance to me implies those things are equal, and my work's never going to be equal to me. It, and again, I think that's an important distinguish make as well. Yeah, I mean, it just reminds me of the first time. I mean, Ryan and I talked like your first initial consultation, and, and that's scary. I think that's scary to a lot of trainers, right? Because their primary identity, like. Kyle, you and I have these other identities, right? Like husband, father, um, and like. But if your primary identity is a trainer, like, why would you take off from that? Like, you, and so, like, I, Ryan, I just I wanted you to stop at like eight p.m. I think I was like, you can work five a.m. to eight p.m. and like, it, but it freaked you out. You're like, dude, yeah. I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, for a lot of people, it's not even it's it. It might not even be the trainer thing. That their identity is is effort and work and, and hours and. Like that, that is their currency for, for who they are as a person. Uh, so that, I mean, that's completely me. That's, that's been my entire life. Like, cause I, that's been like the only thing I've been good at is like working hard at shit. So, and then a lot of times that looks like more time and more effort or whatever, other things that other people don't want to do, you know, whatever bullshit you want to uh, throw in there. But yeah, that, that's, that's, that's a challenge. That's still a challenge for me. I mean, that's something I'm still working on. But I, that's like when you when you had towels, I, like I remember you saying, like, dude, I'm just like so much more efficient now because I just get like because now it's like I, I I have this amount of time to get this thing done because after that, Steph is gonna kill me. So like we've got to get this thing done, and because like I, I, so I think that's like sometimes like maybe people need to take on more responsibilities, and and that will allow like force them into to just setting up uh, better systems for themselves. 
Yeah, I mean, I honestly might be working for a nanny. Like, put that through your head. Like, I like I enjoy yeah, my work so much. Like, I might, I might, like, all right, I, I'll pay a nanny for six hours or four hours a day, and I'll work that, and hopefully I'll make, like, hopefully I can make more than we pay the nanny. But I think th- these are like, these are questions that you've never necessarily you you haven't asked before. Um, if you're a single trainer, yeah. Uh, but all of a sudden they come in like when you have all these other things to juggle, and those other things are more important. Um, and I love my work. So, and, and this is from Emily Ouster's expecting better is like, every one of these is a cost benefit analysis that is individual. Like you, you might love your kids, but you don't love them for 14 hours a day. Right. And so then it might be worth you spending a little bit of money or you might. So, it, and if you're a beginning trainer right now, it might be worth it. If you can't pay your rent, it might be worth it to work 14 to 16 hours a day right now. I mean, I tell everybody, like, I work seven days a week for four years. You know, my alarm was set at 3.30. I work 12. Like, Ryan knows that life, like, especially working in the New York area. Like, we moved to New York with nothing. Like, I had my, my wife's salary job that we moved for was $27,000 a year, which didn't even pay our rent, right? So it's mm-hmm. like I had to start working really hard, really fast, and that was my identity, and, and I loved it. Like, I loved every part of it because I'm – you know, again, like effort is a currency for me. And as I got better at what I was doing, as we got more comfortable, as our life changed, right, I started focusing more on outcomes rather than like time spent work. And then I realized I was kind of. But that effort is still there, man. The effort. Like that 5 a.m. to 8 p.m. effort is still there. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was, I was focusing more on and priding myself more on being busy than I was producing results. And I yep. realized that I could it's produce a lot of the same results in a shorter amount of time. That's the hustle wheel. Yeah. And, and I think every trainer that's going to be successful, especially in a big market, you have like, that's like, you have to do that for a couple of years. You have to eat shit to be yeah. successful in this industry. And that's part of it. You have to go through it. If you're still doing that 10 years down the road, you fucked up your pricing model and your business model. Mm -hmm. Like there's something wrong there. Uh, Unless you're just making an absolute insane amount of money and you just can't stop. Right. Mm -hmm. But when I see like trainers that are, you know, 10, 15 years in the industry still talking about grinding, it's like, okay, well you either have a retention issue and you can't keep clients or you're just, so incredibly cheap that you have to still be doing the dollar per hour game and stat. And the only way for you to make more money is to work more hours. Right. And so it's a business model fault or it's either a service model or a business model issue, right? You're either you're priced way too low, which I, in person, I always tell trainers, if you're training more than 30 sessions a week, you're too cheap. You need to raise your prices. That's just supply and demand. And if you're still, again, turning over clients at that rate, that deep into your career, like you need a better service model because people stick with you based on the experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so one of those things is missing or one of those things is, is lagging behind or coming up short. And it's very easy to see which one it, it is once we start breaking down the numbers and seeing where people fall on that. That's cool. So, so Kyle, what still gets you excited about this fitness and nutrition world? Uh, I, I think part of it is, again, self-selecting my audience to people who are early in their career. Like a lot of the people that I'm working with are, they are people that are, everyone that I work with, I should say, is in a transition. Like th- those are the people that usually kind of fall into me from a, a development standpoint is they're, 
they're in that transition where they're trying to grow out of the corporate gym and start their own independent business, or they're trying to open their own place, or they've got a brick and mortar and they're trying to expand it and hire employees and look at staff development. So for me, a lot, a big part of it is like, I constantly deal with people in different stages and that's super exciting for me, you know? And I like right now, like I don't train anybody like Matt and James handles all of our training. I work exclusively in the trainer development area. Right. So the other big part of it is people are very systems approached in the industry right now and they pride themselves on acronyms and systems and, and all that stuff. And one of the things that, that I try to help people with is understanding how their clientele, their, their training environment actually dictates what their model should be rather than like a weekend seminar. Right? So it's more so looking at what they do really well and finding ways to optimize that based on their principles from a training perspective and based on who they're actually working with, what those people value into building out a model that works for them rather than trying to copy somebody else. Right? Like, so we, we go through like model development within our, our mentorship stuff. And people are always like, you know, they kind of assume it's like me teaching somebody my model. When in reality, it's like my model is probably not going to work for somebody else. Like my model is based on my experience, my education, the people that I work with, right? It's it's very individual. There might be similarities between your model, model, but you work with different people in a different training environment and you have a different educational experiential background, right? So the application, the context is going to be different. So we work on helping people identify and build out their own models, right? And, and that's something that's super exciting for me because it almost turns into this counterculture where people start understanding that like the way that Con Ed is set up right now and the way these systems are built out, like it's important to understand these things, but they also are built to create tribes, right? And you can be, you can learn the system without becoming the actual system, right? And it can just be a tool in your toolbox to use that cliche and you can you can apply it to the people in front of you. And if something doesn't fit your clientele, it's not worth taking, right? Just because everybody else is talking about it on the internet. You know, so like stuff like that and helping people do those things uh, and become better at the service aspect of things as well. Like that's what I really get excited about. Um, a lot of the other stuff I could completely do without and just don't care about it anymore. Yes. Thanks, man. Anything else? Anything else you got, Ryan? Uh, yeah, I got like kind of a silly question, but I'd be curious just like what, what kind of uh, like products and services are you using right now to, to make your, your life a little bit more efficient? So one of the big things, you know, we talked about this is um, we eliminate overhead as much as possible. Right? Mm-hmm. I control my spend because that actually enables me to not try to work as hard at filling the uh, totally. <laughs> and, and market less and sell less. Right, so we, we use Google Drive for absolutely as much as we can because it's free. Uh, and if, if I've got a product in front of me that Drive can do, I'm not paying for that other product. Mm-hmm. Right, so we use Zoom uh, for our video conferencing and we use, uh, we use Train Heroic for the majority of our training. And, and really, that's something that we're actually probably going to get away from and start using more just Excel-based and Sheets-based again. Why is that? I'm curious to hear that. Uh, it doesn't actually give us as much flexibility from a training perspective as we want for some of the stuff. It it's what I've heard from every app that's come out. That's like I, that's, every, that's every app. Yeah, that's been our conversation the whole time. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty, and the user interface isn't bad. 
but it doesn't allow some of the, the things that we, we would want from just like an algorithm standpoint as far as like forecasting and planning out long-term for people. Um, and then we use... Uh, use Calendly. We use Calendly, which I, I think <laughs> if there's one thing I could recommend to every trainer, it's Calendly because it's a time saver on everything. Rather yep, than I don't do that. So it's like, yeah, you know, it's... Start. Yeah, rather than, you know, somebody saying, oh, yeah, like, uh, when's your availability? You're like, well, I can do Monday from, like, It's the worst. And, like, at 5 o'clock, I can yeah. do Tuesday this. It's like, I can just send somebody a link, right, and they can plug it in, and it's good. Um, because, really, all that, that back-and-forth communication will cost you clients at some point, right? You, you take hours and sometimes days between those communications. Like, people's interest just wanes. Uh, like again, like when we look at training and selling training and people being interested in it, it's an emotional response almost always. Mm, as long yeah. as until that if that stimulus decreases and something else catches their eye, like it's gone. You're gone, right? yeah. Quickly. It happens fast nowadays, yeah. You know, so this is a way to just expedite how fast I can actually get on which is important to me because I'm always gonna do better on a call than I am gonna be emails or DMs or, or whatever. Um, and then the other thing we use a lot of Slack within our group stuff. Um, part of it is because I personally hate Facebook and it's accessible and I don't want to be on it. Uh, so we use, we use Slack because it's super easy to use. And again, it's super cheap and, and we can get big groups of people on there. We can share PDFs. We can share videos. We can share all the information we want. Um, and, and community is really big in a lot of the things that we do, uh, cause it provides stickiness that we don't have to provide, which is yeah. always energy on our behalf right uh, so it just provides a community and a culture that we're not like the linchpin of because being the linchpin again is a lot of effort and energy it's a lot of hard work so it allows other people to kind of uh and it's not sustainable it's not sustainable at all right you mm -hmm. know so and, and we get a lot of really good coaches like in our programs that have a lot of good information. That Slack channel is awesome. Yeah, just to go through and read that. It's like it's like uh, what we all hope the bodybuilding forums were. Yeah, it just back in the day. Other people to put out good information. It's like I learned something from all our Slack channels. All yeah. The time. Uh, you know, so we use all of that. <clears throat> um, our website host is Kajabi because we do teaching stuff, and it allows us to build out like courses. Um, most people don't need that. Like I would just do like a Squarespace or a Wix. If you're going to set up a, a website and you're just a trainer that's managing mostly programs. How, how necessary do you think a website is for, for a trainer? It depends how well you are. Again, I think it's, it's out of necessity, right? Um, if you're doing really well just on a social media presence or on a referral network, um, it might not be necessary at all, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you're having a hard time getting out there or you need to direct to a spot and you're building a business from that perspective, it might be incredibly important, right? I look at I look at websites now as kind of like the new business card. Mm -hmm. um, and again, like I like if I'm just a trainer, I'm probably gonna pick a super simple website that basically, you know, tells people who I am, what I do, and how much it costs, and then has like a communication box. Like I'm gonna make it really as simple as possible. I'll make it photos on it. I'm not going to invest a ton of money on like backend things like uh, blogs and CRMs until I absolutely have to. I'm just going to look at it just saying like if somebody asked me about training, I can now just give them my website and direct them there. Or mm. just more. Um, and, and it kind of creates a go-between from that standpoint. Um, 
but yeah, I, I think for a lot of trainers, if you're starting this now, uh, I would use free resources. Like I would use social media. If you're look, if you're in the remote space, uh, social media is going to be a huge thing for you. Again, it has to be targeted. It has to be intelligently done. It's you know don't just yell into the universe and hope something comes back. Um, if you're in person and you're brick and mortar, and we're assuming that gyms are going to open back up, none of it might matter. It might just be like literally going around your community and forming relationships. Or if you're a, a, a trainer in a corporate gym, talk to everybody. Like you, Ryan, you can definitely, I think, you know, sympathize with this. I've done hundreds and hundreds of free sessions in my yeah. lifetime. Yeah, totally. Uh, you know, it's like I've spent a lot of years doing free sessions uh, and, and talking to people. And it's it, free practice. It's, yeah, it's what it is, right? Yeah. And, and I think at that point, like, you don't need you don't need a website and you don't need social media because you have an audience in front of you. Like those things are both directed at getting an audience in front of you. So if you're if you're at Equinox in the middle of Manhattan or any other big city, you have a thousand people coming in that gym every single day. Mm. Like like Ryan said, like I built up a six figure business and did really well before social media even ever existed and well into that. Like three years ago, I had five hundred followers and a private profile and all my posts were like cheeseburgers and my dog. <laughs> and, like there is no fitness content, right? I didn't start doing social media really until I started business and I realized how much I needed it. I don't work with a single person that even lives in the state of Missouri. Mm-hmm. That alone lives in St. Louis. None of my clients are local. We have people in the group mentorship from nine different countries, right? That's Not good. a That's single cool. person from the state that I live. Right. So like that's where social media can be. That's where it can be. If you're in person, I don't know if it's necessary at all. Like we all know really smart, really successful trainers that have no social media media presence. And don't mm-hmm. care. And they're just mm-hmm. making money and helping people and doing really well. Yeah, I, I mean I have I know gyms they got like three hundred followers. Like does but they're just they're waitless. They're just like they got their fault. Yeah. Uh, cool man cool. Kyle, Kyle where can people find more about you where can they where can they find you um, social media uh, compound performance underscore I'm happy to be like your first uh, fitness pro uh, on the on this podcast <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> and then uh, the the rebel performance website it's rebel performance.com um, and that's pretty much all of our stuff is there like I said I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook so it's really just Instagram's the best way to find any so you guys didn't want to pay. I've been wanting to ask this. So you guys didn't want to pay for like rebel performance. It was so, like an auto, it was like an automotive company or something. You can talk uh, about James. You, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's, no, it's, it's perfect. Doesn't matter. That's what I tell people all the time. Like it does. Like right now, like we're we're even attached to dot com, but I don't even know that like millennials are even attached to dot com anymore. Like doesn't matter. My uh, my compound performance site was dot info. It didn't hurt my business at all because, some, again, it's like it's my Instagram has an underscore after it because there's literally a, a compound performance profile with zero posts and like 11 followers and like no picture. <laughs> find them. Got to find them. Yeah, find them. Pay them. You can't pay them. That's, that's illegal. That's illegal. You can do something else. <laughs> You can buy it. Can't pay them. Can make them disappear. If, if anybody's living, if anybody's listening, five years ago, my wife's like, you should, you should get the at functional medicine handle. 
So that's me, guys. I have that one. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> send Ryan after him and just have him do a lat spread in front of him. I just, like, just stop, man. I'll delete just anything. Just, just find out what he wants. Dude, you should lat, just, lat spread into submission. Just, you should just DM him. Like, never stop DMing him. Like, just DM, like, hey, you man. change your mind? Dude, like, we got the, like, back in the day, like, Facebook last names. Like, we got the same name, bro. What's up? Highlander's ass. I love all your posts. I love all your posts. Your picture's really great. Yeah. <laughs> What's your mom's maiden name? <laughs> this is so weird. What was the name of your first pet? Basically, all the, you just ask him hey, all the security questions. Dude, what was yeah. your first car? You should make Trevor do that as part of his uh, as part of his work for yeah. yeah, that's part of the internship. Trevor has to 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 as soon reclaim as you, get the password, you can get it. As soon as you if, if you get access, like I get so many emails, like someone has tried to access your your functional app functional medicine. I get them all the time. Like people are trying to hack the password. Yeah. It's amazing. You should just try it. Just try to just try to hack the password. I'm just gonna start out with combinations and numbers. Like, yeah. One. I, one, it could one, be, one, one, dude. Two. It could be the username. Like, it just it could be. I, yeah, I just, just definitely you should try, try it. It's worth a shot. It's worth a shot. Take over. Uh, I, uh, it's been fun. Uh, if you're still with us, we appreciate you. Episode 24. Um, we'll see you when we see you. Episode 25. Peace. Peace. Awesome. Thanks, man. Stuck. <laughs>